Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Journal Podcasts, In Conversation. This podcast has been taken from the practical news updates at Beaver Congress 2021. Here, Mariana Bishi discusses recent research and developments in diagnostic imaging. Our next uh, speaker is Mariana Bidji. Mariana is the equine director at VetCT, the, the telemedicine um, company, and also works uh, in the IVC group at Pool House as their imaging specialist. Mariana. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you all live, finally, after all this time. Um, I have been given the chance to present you some of uh, news on diagnostic imaging, and there are quite a few papers I want to go through, and I'm afraid they're all orthopedics uh, now. Uh, I'll start from the foot and go move my way up. Um, the first paper I want to talk to you about is this um, large retrospective study that was uh, produced in the US um, and looked at uh, MRI lesion in the foot using specifically standing MRI. Uh, what, this is not the first paper of this kind, but what I think is interesting is that they use a relatively homogeneous group of horses because they uh, select only uh, warm blood horses for this, uh, for this study. Uh, and the other useful thing to, to read out of this paper is that that they gave a prognosis for uh, each type of injury that we uh, see on, uh, on MRI. Uh, so they included horses that were warm blood, they had foot pain, and they had the standing, imaging, standing MRI images available, and all images were reviewed retrospectively by a single uh, radiologist with uh, standardized scoring criteria uh, for each lesion uh, uh, described as mild, moderate, or severe. Um, they had a large group of horses, 550, and the majority of them were show jumpers. Um, it's interesting that the lameness duration was quite um, uh, short, so only five weeks between onset of lameness and presentation. And they all to speculate that this is because um, uh, referring vets now tend to refer horses for MRI much sooner than it was uh, in the past. Um, the distribution of lesion was not particularly different from uh, other studies that we have on this uh, subject. The majority of horses had multiple um, lesions within the foot and mainly involving either the deep shield flexor tendon and navicular bone or bursa or both and the uh, navicular bone plus the navicular bone ligament and navicular bone plus the AP joint. Um, uh, the outcome was obtained for 62% of the horses, and uh, the median outcome was 43 months, so relatively long, and the minimum length of outcome was 12 months. Um, uh, only um, just uh, over half of the horses had an unsuccessful outcome, and horses that had uh, more long-standing lameness, unsurprisingly, had um, a worse outcome, and the auto... Um, uh, discussed this, saying that perhaps if we know the diagnosis soon, that we can treat the horse appropriately, and that's probably why horses that had more recent onset of lameness had the better prognosis. Um, what is interesting 
coming out of this very complicated table is that what is highlighted in red are the MRI findings that are uh, significantly associated with poor outcome. Uh, this are especially uh, steropor intensity in the navicular bone, flexor quarter erosion, uh, deep shoulder flexor tendon lesion, and collateral zonoidian ligament dysmopathy. Uh, of course, these findings are applicable to, to uh, warm blood horses, but if you do uh, look uh, more um, at this sort of population, I think it's a useful uh, paper to look at in depth. Um, uh, this is a very... Um, straightforward paper that come from the uh, University of Liverpool and uh, they had uh, is an exper experimental paper where they try to identify uh, which modality uh, between MRI, CT and radiographs uh, is um, better to identify foreign body within the foot. Um, of course um, if you want to see a foreign body ultrasound will be your method of choice but in the foot that has limitations so we have to use other technique. Um, they um, selected uh, five foreign bodies, so slate, plastic, uh, glass, and wood, which was either dry or soaked. And they insert these um, foreign bodies within cadaver feet, which they then were imaged with the three modalities. Um, three different reviewers looked at the uh, images and they were asked to uh, uh, determine if the foreign body could be identified and how well could be identified and then they were asked to guess the material uh, that it was, uh, the foreign body was. And um, unfortunately the um, sensitivity that is reported in this table is only refers to correct detection of the foreign body material, which... Um, uh, I mean, it's useful to know, but it's only important to a certain extent because what you want to know if is the foreign body is there or, or not. Uh, however, if you want to uh, guess correctly the uh, foreign body material, then CT is your best uh, modality. Um, both CT and MRI were able to identify all foreign bodies, but um, uh, foreign bodies were much easier to, to see on CT. And uh, my take home for this is that if the foreign bodies is smaller than this, this one, which is uh, worth three centimeters long, then perhaps uh, thinking about CT is a good idea. Um, the other important thing is that if you do use radiology to uh, look for foreign bodies, then both wood and plastic foreign body, even if very big, will not be seen, uh, uh, and therefore horse will need to be referred for other imaging. Um, Deep effects of tendon lesion. Um, this uh, paper comes from uh, Colorado State and look at specific lesion in the pastern in the deep flexor tendon. And what they want to uh, look at is uh, how many of horses with uh, lesion in the pastern had uh, lesion more distally within the foot. Uh, and also they wanted to see if there was any specific type of lesion in the pastern which was more likely to have distal extension. So they retrospectively select horses that had either an ultrasound or MRI diagnosis for this uh, tendon lesion in the pastern. They exclude tendon rupture, laceration, or penetrating injuries, um, and sepsis. And um, they found uh, 81 horses. Uh, the majority of them had uh, ultrasound diagnosis, and about 33 had uh, uh, an MRI diagnosis. Um, 
when they looked at the type of uh, lesion that uh, were present in the parston, and this is explained in this two table, so we have the, uh, the type of lesion here, and then the number of them, and then how many of those had a distal lesion present or absent. And if we look at the core lesion, for example, 22 cases had a lesion in the parston, and all of them had distal lesion present. Uh, while, for example, dorsal border lesion in the past, and there were five, but only three were present more distally. And these are the same results for MRI. Um, so what they found that uh, core lesion were significantly associated with a presence of more distal extension of uh, pathology within the foot, and that a very large percentage of horses, so 75% of the horses with parson lesion would have uh, additional lesion more distally. And I think this is an important thing to know because, of course, uh, when you uh, determine your prognosis, your treatment plan is uh, useful to know the full extent of, uh, of the lesion present. Um, and they also recommend that if you are ultrasound in the parston and you see a, a, a lesion such as a core lesion, perhaps switch into a microconvex and look at the precision within area um, is uh, uh, important. And if you're wondering how uh, good is ultrasound to uh, actually diagnose precision within uh, lesion, then you can read uh, this paper that was performed at the uh, University of Liège. This is a prospective descriptive study and aimed to compare standing MRI and ultrasound findings of the podotrochlear apparatus, and I'm mainly focused on the deep tissue reflexor tendon in horses that uh, had no uh, radiological findings. So they include all horses that were referred uh, for MRI and had normal radiographs, and the only um, other inclusion criteria was that the two uh, radiologists that were performing the ultrasound uh, were present to uh, scan the horses. And this was the protocol, so it did uh, uh, pre and the transcunium approach. Um, when they look at the comparison uh, between the two techniques, the, um, 70, there was a 75% agreement between the detection of uh, for detection of supracesamoidian lesion uh, between uh, ultrasound and MRI, and the agreement was a little bit uh, lower for distal tendon lesion, and this is because uh, on ultrasound, um, for insertion of lesion, you can only see changes in shape of the tendon, so if this is not present, you won't be able to see the, the lesion. Um, if you look at this table, actually ultrasound detected a little bit more lesion than MRI did in the precisamoidian region, and um, and uh, they also um, conclude that this probably was a true overestimation of lesions, uh, and, uh, and this was based on the fact that uh, low-field MRI and high-field MRI have a good correlation with histopathology, um, and therefore standing MRI is likely to be uh, more true. So, um, as a conclusion, they uh, think that ultrasound, uh, especially in the presomidian region, is a good screening tool uh, for deep gel effects tendon lesion if MRI is not feasible. Um, this is a very uh, brief case report, but I thought to include it because I have 
never personally seen these lesions, and I think uh, it's good to know um, uh, how they look like. These are uh, lesions involving the scutum medium, and they are uh, part of complex parsthome injuries, uh, which involves also the stratosomidian ligament and uh, or the uh, SDFT branch. Um, so th there were 10 horses in the study, and there were three different uh, presenting clinical signs, let's say. Um, uh, some had wounds or sepsis, some had acute onset of lameness, and a few had chronic lameness. Um, some of the lesions, like the one in the picture here, were visible on um, ultrasound, like the straight somedian ligament pathology plus the midoscutum lesion, uh, but many of them were only diagnosed during, during um, MRI, and this was high field MRI. Um, uh, only three out of the 10 horses actually returned to some sort of exercise, so this lesion had quite poor prognosis. But if you are in the group of acute onset of lameness, this did a little bit better, and they uh, ought to speculate that this might be because these horses had only involvement of the SDFT and not the straight sesamoidian ligament, which might affect uh, the stability of the uh, POP joint, proximal differential joint. And if you do want to ultrasound this region, uh, then perhaps you can uh, remind uh, your uh, normal anatomy by reading this um, uh, nice paper from Denoir, which has a very nice picture for your reference. Um, last paper uh, on the past, and then we move up. Um, this is a paper that was... Um, uh, performed at the University uh, Robert and College London, and uh, this again look at uh, ultrasound and MRI findings in horses with uh, dysism with the ligament uh, pathology. Um, and I think what was interesting is that they tried to identify uh, if there was any clinical variable which could suggest uh, which lesion uh, you then going to find on imaging, and also if they could identify any factors of any sort, so either clinical or imaging factor that uh, will affect the return to soundness. Um, they uh, had um they selected retrospectively horses with a primary diagnosis of uh, oblique or straight zone with the ligament dysmopathy. Uh, over a 17 years period, they identified 51 horses. Um, I I thought it was quite a relatively low number because I certainly do see uh, oblique somedian ligament pathology more often, but um, uh, I guess this uh, often is a combination of pathology of the oblique plus the, um, the suspensor ligament branch and, and fetlock itself, where in this case they only selected horses with ligament pathology. Um, uh, as clinical findings, they found that uh, horses with oblique somedian ligament dysmopathy were focally painful and had uh, often periligamentous swelling. So a good clinical examination uh, may uh, help highlighting uh, these sort of lesion. Um, the distribution of lesion was not different from what we already knew. So oblique somedian ligament pathology was more common and more common in the proximal aspect of the ligament and uh, straight somedian ligament pathology more common in the body. Um, 
the majority of the horses had ultrasound prior to MRI, and uh, the majority of the lesions were identified using MRI, uh, especially uh, the straight somedian ligament injuries uh, and uh, three-quarter of the oblique somedian uh, ligament injuries. And uh, my interpretation is this, that perhaps because the oblique somedian ligament injuries are very proximal, these are sometimes more difficult to, uh, to spot based on your ultrasound technique. Um, there was no significant difference between the treatment type that they use um, for, for these horses for their outcome, and unfortunately didn't find any specific um, clinical imaging findings which could uh, be related to uh, the prognosis. Um, we move up to the stifle, and uh, this is a paper that uh, looked at... Um, shallow lucency in the media femoral condyle, which I think is interesting to look at because we always wondered, uh, you know, over these, uh, the clinical significance of these findings. These are specific for thoroughbred racehorses, and they um, selected horses that uh, had uh, two sets of radiographs available as foal and yearlings, and, uh, they, and they had to have a shallow lucency in uh, uh, either of these uh, sets. They, um, they then measured the width of the uh, shallow lucency, and this was uh, related to the width uh, of the uh, media condor to obtain a ratio, uh, so they could compare different uh, horses. Um, again, a very complicated table, but basically uh, the majority um, of the cysts uh, stayed the same uh, in the two sets of radiographs that were unchanged. And the uh, cysts that were larger to start with, they tend to reduce uh, slightly. But only a very few number of cysts completely resolved. Only a very few number of cysts became, um, sorry, lucency became a cyst. And there were a very small number of horses that had a cyst to start with, and then uh, this became a lucency. They then looked at the... Um, uh, how these lucency may affect the, uh, these horses clinically, uh, looking at the uh, racing data. Uh, and what they found is that uh, there was a significant reduced number of starts as two years old for horses with the uh, lucency compared to a cohort of normal horses. However, this was not significant anymore as three years old. Um, and therefore, they conclude that this horse will have a late uh, start in racing, but they will actually perform uh, okay. Uh, there was no significant difference in earnings between all these groups. Uh, so if you do see one of those lucency, those uh, uh, are very likely to remain radiographically apparent, at least um, up to the yearling stage. Um, I wanted you to talk to you about these group of paper, and I very um, uh, briefly because um, uh, comb beam CT is a method, a, a diagnostic image modality that is now becoming more uh, available. Um, and that's because uh, new uh, dedicated equine um, systems are developed and I, um, I think more and more paper will be produced uh, using this modality. Um, 
The first paper up here is uh, actually a narrative review that takes you through all the history of CT and outcome beam CT compared to the standard fan beam CT and goes through artifact uh, uh, indication and clinical uh, application of the modality. So I think it's a good read if you think about either uh, you know, buying uh, as, uh, this system for your practice or perhaps refer a horse for clean beam CT. Um, the other two papers are uh, from the uh, group in Bern, and they actually don't use an equine-specific cone beam CT. This is adapted from, um, from human medicine, but um, I think uh, it's still... Um, work in the same way. Um, they, this is the protocol, so the horse is standing on the platform um, and the leg is extended into uh, the gantry, either forward or backwards, depending on which limbs uh, it is. Um, of course, once the horse is in position, the uh, cone beam CT does not move, so neither the table nor the horse will move. Um, and images are, are acquired. Um, they did quite a few horses and um, and only very few, uh, they um, uh, did not manage to uh, obtain diagnostic quality imaging. Uh, when I looked at this picture, I was thinking, oh, well, we have two people in the room, one at the head and one uh, holding the limb. Uh, but actually, because cone beam CT has a, a lower amount of kilovolt produced, then uh, they, uh, they discussed that the health risk for the personnel was actually uh, uh, very small. And then uh, in the second paper that presents some uh, clinical cases and specifically they look at uh, the feasibility of the uh, technique and how that's um, um, help in the, uh, in the clinical process. Uh, so the majority of the horses that underwent this procedure had a diagnosis. Um, which was obtained by CT, um, uh, but there was a 22% of horses that the diagnosis could not be made. And they don't really discuss very much about it. My, my interpretation of this is that there were only very few soft tissue injuries in the group, and we know that cone beam CT has got um, uh, quite a substantial limitation as resolution for soft tissue uh, pathology, and then perhaps uh, these horses that were undiagnosed had such lesion. However, they conclude that cone beam CT provided clinical re relevant information in the majority of the cases and uh, is something that perhaps can be done if other techniques are not available. Um, um, couple of papers on uh, cervical spine uh, and this one in particular I think is very very useful um, especially if you uh, do lots of pre-purchase exam in uh, warm blood horses. Um, this comes from uh, the group in uh, Davis, California and they um, they selected horses that were participating in a specific circuit, show jumping circuit in California, and there were horses that uh, were relatively expert, so competing in at least 10 classes. Uh, they then looked at all the horses and excluded the one that were uh, always lame or ataxic, and they, uh, a board certified surgeon looked at the range of motion and the presence of neck pain. Uh, they then radiographed on site all the horses and hot um, images were reviewed by three uh, board certified radiologists. And these are examples of normal, uh, mild and moderate to severe osteoarthritis at the level of C6, C7. 
And what they want to find uh, to see is firstly if, uh, what was the agreement between the radiologists. Uh, and surprisingly, they found that this was very little, uh, especially when they looked at the uh, C67. Um, and they thought that perhaps this was because um, uh, they didn't really uh, train the radiologists to uh, specifically uh, read with the specific scoring system. It was more left at their own um, interpretation, but actually this reflects the exact uh, real-life situation where uh, each one of us will interpret their radiographs based on their own experience. Um, the other um, uh, uh, thing uh, that they, um, that they uh, looked at if it was any relationship between uh, the, these um, findings and age, and this was not confirmed. Um, this is different from previous study, but I think this is more related to the fact that they had a very homogeneous group of horses as age, uh, so they were only between um, 7 and 13 years old. Um, the uh, prevalence of the lesion was very high. 42% had mild lesion and 25% had moderate severe lesion. And this was higher than the prevalence in horses that uh, were presented for clinical uh, study. And the, um, this, what the author discussed is that this is perhaps related to the fact that if you are a medium to high level uh, performing horse, your musculature and your um, physiotherapy exercise that you do every day will uh, make you able to cope with this pathology. I also think that osteoarthritis is much more uh, severe in horses that jumps because of the exact uh, uh, motion, the exact motion of jumping. So this is something to remember that these horses were not clinically, uh, had no clinical uh, problems and uh, had severe osteoarthritis. This is um, a paper that looks at um, a specific finding on CT. And I think it's something that is useful to know if you either look at CT or if you uh, refer horses with head shaking. Um, and uh, it's a retrospective study that uh, looked at the prevalence of this lesion, which is mineralization of the odontoid uh, ligament. And the reason why they did this study is because uh, there was a suggestion on the case report that this might be associated with uh, head shaking. And they reviewed uh, 96 horses, which were included for, uh, were presented for CT for a variety of um, clinical signs. And what they found, it was their absolute association between this finding and uh, presenting clinical signs, so this should be considered incidental. Um, they, do, they did find an association between uh, the mineralization and age, as we see in uh, other areas of the head, of other ligaments. And uh, unexplicable, they found it's more common in female, and uh, well, we just one of those things. Um, my uh, last paper is uh, this paper looking at CT. Uh, and CT myelogram of the uh, neck. And this is the, uh, one of the first large um, scale review paper of uh, pathology within the cervical spine. So they wanted to uh, describe uh, the um, utility of CT and CT myelography in horses which suspected vertebral pathology. And had uh, 180 horses, uh, under 47 had also myelogram. And they describe all the methods, um, how they uh, obtain all these images. Um, the majority of the horses were warm blood, 
and uh, the most common present, uh, presenting clinical sign was neurological deficit and there was uh, also about a third of the horses that had abnormal neck posture. Um, they found uh, very many lesions, over 2,000 lesions within the cervical spine. Um, as you can see, the number of lesions increases as we proceed cordially, and that's not surprising. And the majority of the horses uh, have uh, changes at C6, C7. 83% um, of the horses had osteoarthritis of the articular process joints, um, and uh, they uh, also looked at attenuation of the contrast column, and they found that there were 85% of the horses that had attenuation of the contrast uh, column, and the many of those were at the, caused by um, articular process joint osteoarthritis, 63%, and that uh, was determined by the fact that the compression, sorry, the attenuation was dorsal uh, lateral and therefore uh, related to the articular process joint. And they speculate that this um, uh, should be uh, considered as a cause for um, ataxia or neurological clinical sign in horses that uh, are um, of older age. Uh, unfortunately, there was, uh, because they didn't really look at the horses uh, themselves when they came to the clinic, they couldn't do any correlation between the CT finding and diagnosis and the clinical sign, which I think is uh, a bit of a um, downside of this paper, but hopefully there will be a follow-up on this. Um, and this is all I have. Uh, quite a few papers to go through. Um, hopefully you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Channel podcast. More about the subjects discussed today can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash EVJ.